Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. I'm Tegan, if you don't know me. And this morning is our second part of Game Over series. So as a part of that, we are going to play a little game. Is that cool? Great. So if you think that the answer is question one, you have to stand up. And if you think the answer is question, like the answer is number two, you have to stay seated. Does that make sense? Sweet. So it's called the Tegan Test. And um, I have some helpers, Mitchell and Jeremy. Let's give them a clap. Here you go. You dish them out. Ready? So question one is, would I be more tempted, one, to watch a game of cricket or two, clean my room? Stand up if you think it's cricket and stay seated if you think it's clean my room. Oh, you guys are so right that they're sitting down. So right. Cricket is not a good sport. I'm so sorry if you enjoy it. Um, you're meant to give a curly whirly swirly to someone sitting down, boys. You did? Great. Who'd you give it to? Come on. All right, question two is, would I be more tempted to eat a whole tub of vanilla ice cream or eat lots of vanilla yogurt? Stand up if you think it's ice cream. Stay seated if you think it's yogurt. If you're standing up, you are correct. I also think I'm slightly lactose, but I love both of those things. All right, question number three is, would I be more tempted to buy clothes impulsively or eat impulsively? Stand up if you think it's clothes and stay seated if you think I eat. I'm also torn with this one, but I think, I think it is clothes. I think it is. Did you give one? Did you guys give one? All right. Question number four is, this is a tricky one. Would I be more tempted to eat a go bucket from KFC or eat chicken nuggets from Macca's with sweet and sour sauce? If you know me, you'll be standing right now. Did you hand one out? Has Beryl got one yet? Is Beryl here? Beryl, you're going to get this next one. You ready? Would I be more tempted to go to the gym or go for a walk? Stand up if you think it's gym. Wow, you guys. <laughs> Literally no one, no one stood up. Well, you're all right. Can't you tell I go to the gym? Nah, I don't. This last one, um, it's, a, it's a bit of a trick question. Would I be more tempted to eat a whole packet of curly whirly swirlies or eat a whole packet of curly whirly swirlies? <laughs> they are both correct. Good job. Give yourself a clap. So our series is called Game Over and now it's time for real life to begin. As you may have noticed, I have a slight addiction to curly whirly swirlies. Just a little bit. More like every time I go to Coles, I buy some. Unless I have someone with me, like Jeremy, who tells me I'm not allowed to go down the aisle. But still, 
literally will walk past the aisle and I like still look down it. And if it's on sale, I just convince him that they're never on sale, but they're always on sale because Mitchell thinks that I'm the only one in Murraybridge that actually likes them. <laughs> so they have to put them on sale so that they can sell them. But I have this addiction to curly whirly swirlies. Um, and if I see that sales sign, I'm trapped. And I think this morning that a lot of us have these temptations in our lives. For Jeremy, it's going to the cricket nets. Yes, I hate cricket and my boyfriend is in love with it. But that's okay. For some of us, it's KFC. Who's a KFC fan in the house? Who's a Macca's fan? Oh. Why? <laughs> but we all have our addictions and mine is definitely Curly Willy Swirlies or a go bucket from KFC. So this morning I'm going to be focusing on 1 Peter. Say 1 Peter. I just like hearing your voices. I'm sorry. 1 Peter 2 verse 11 where it talks about our sinful desires, our things in our life that aren't so good temptations. So it says in 1 Peter 2 verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. When I read that, because I'm not great at English, I was like, abstain, urge, what do they actually mean? So for those that aren't great at English in the house, urge is beg and encourage. So I urge you, I beg, I encourage you to restrain yourself from sinful desires. So restrain yourself from those temptations that are going to lead you down the wrong track. And in another version, in ESV, it says, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And when I hear the word passion, I immediately think of it as a good thing, to be passionate for God or passionate for serving, passionate for loving people. But here it's not talking about the good passions. It's talking about the passions of our flesh that lead us down the wrong path. And this morning, I want us to realize that we, are, we don't need to be actually led by our emotions or by our feelings. That we don't need to live a life where we constantly fall into temptation. But God wants to lead us. He wants to guide us and he wants the best for us. And when we live a life of conviction, knowing what we're called to do, and not being led by temptation, it doesn't just affect us, but it affects those around us. Is that cool? It actually affects the people around us. When we live our lives differently, people notice. People notice. And it says in 1 Peter 2 verse 12, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Our lives are no longer about just about us when we're Christians, but we're actually called to love God and to love others. And that is by setting an example by the way we live. We should stand out. We should be different. But what is temptation and how can we overcome it? So I'm only going to dive into one way I believe you can overcome it because there's so many different ways. But temptation. So when you look in the definition of temptation, it directly talks about a test or a trial, that you get tempted when you go through a trial or you're tested. But it's the trials that we go through that tempt us to fall into sin. God tests us so that he can reveal that our faith is genuine. Isn't that cool? Yeah. But the enemy uses temptation to lead us into sin. We will be tempted. And when we strive in our own strength to overcome it, it feels really impossible. Hey, 
when I walk down that aisle and I see them on sale, it feels like it's impossible. But it's not with God. God actually doesn't call us to live a life in our own, striving in our own strength. But he actually calls us to live in relationship with him. So in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 13, it actually talks about how God always provides us with a way out. There's always a way out to temptation. You don't have to fall into it. You don't have to fall into it. God actually provides us with a way out. And one thing I find hard, I don't know about you, is I seem to justify my actions. Like, I'll see the curly whirlies and I'll just be like, it's okay though. Like, I'll go for a walk this week. It's fine. It's not going to affect my teeth. I brush them every day. But it actually does. It actually affects the way we live. So how can we overcome it? We are called to clothe ourselves with Christ. That means we actually need to have a relationship with him. You know how you hang out, the more you hang out with someone, the more you talk like them, the more you walk like them, the more you act like them. Even I notice the people that hang out with Jake, they all end up talking like him and dressing like him. But that's the thing. The more that we walk with Christ, the more that we have a relationship with him, the more we walk like him, the more we talk like him, the more we have compassion like him. And don't we all want to be more like Christ? Yeah. So that's the same with God. You'll begin to see yourself showing more compassion, growing in humility. And one I need constant help with is growing in patience. Yeah. So Colossians 3 verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. As we become more aware of God in our life, we actually become more aware of what the Holy Spirit's saying. And I believe that He is actually our guide. When we feel conviction or we feel wrong about a decision we're about to make, that's actually the Holy Spirit whispering to us. That's leading us out of that temptation because He wants the best for our lives. But I believe that to understand temptation, we actually need to understand that it comes from the tempter. It comes from the enemy. So... Satan's origin and purpose is to encourage sin and devastate human relationship with God. And Satan is referred to as the tempter for this reason. And he places lies in our mind that no one's going to see you do it. It'll make you feel better. You deserve it. Just do it. But then after you've walked down the road of sin, how often does he say, you're stupid for doing that? He just like, blaze on you like God's never gonna love you but these are all lies this is not what God thinks of us he doesn't look at us and see our sin he looks at us with eyes of love and that is why he died on the cross he conquered that we actually don't need to believe the lies that the enemy places in our mind and I believe that some of us this morning are still believing that you're never gonna be good enough God's never gonna love you like the person next to you God is never gonna forgive you of that sin he forgive he conquered that that's done. That's done. We actually don't need to walk in um, feeling ashamed just all the time, just so down on yourself. God actually doesn't call us to live in like shame and just like, oh, I'm just a horrible person. But he actually calls us to be confident because we know that he conquered the grave and he's so good and that he loves us. Is that cool? And um, leading on from that, this is my favorite. It's 1 Peter 2 verse 19 to 22. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. 
To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Christ never sinned, yet he suffered so that we could be set free from it. How cool is that? And he actually didn't die on the cross mad or saying mean things to people. He didn't die on the cross going through that suffering and actually use it as excuse to fall into sin. And I think that that's what we can do sometimes. When we walk in a season of struggle, when we walk in a, in a trial, we can often use it as an excuse to not be compassionate and not, to not be kind. And I do it too. But Jesus set us an example that no deceit was found in his mouth. He committed no sin. And when we walk in the strength of Christ, even through a trial, I believe that he's going to equip us, that we can be compassionate, we can be kind, even when walking through a hard season in our life. Is that cool? Yeah. So by the equipping of the Holy Spirit, we can actually do good during suffering. Like we don't need to wait till we're in a good season to love people, but we need to love them all the time because God loves us all the time. Yeah. So I want to leave you with this. It's 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. God has actually called us out of the darkness. We don't need to live in sin anymore. We don't need to live feeling ashamed. But I believe that he set us all free. Yeah. He set us free from our sin that we can walk out our lives as an example to others because our lives should be better with Christ, yeah? And our lives should be different. So that is all from me. And now I'd like to hand over to Danielle. Give her a hand as she comes up. Give it up for Tegan. How good was that? Yeah. I'm going to actually start on the back of that and tell you a story about a time when I was really... Whoops. When I was really tempted, actually. I was driving um, from Adelaide. I've just got my peas and I was coming back through and I was like, you know what? I'm by myself. This will be fun. I'm just going to go op shopping because I can because I got my peas. So I went into Bridgewater and there's this cute little op shop there. But because I'd never been there by myself before, I accidentally went in the exit rather than the entrance to this car park. And um, that wasn't too bad. Um, it, I, it sort of looked like there was two lanes, I wasn't sure, um, but all the cars that were parked were actually diagonally parked sort of towards me, so I was like, okay, this is awkward. Um, and then this car came round and parked and the couple went inside and I was like, alright, I'm going to have to do like a 10 point turn to get into this park. And I started, and I was going round and it was sort of on a hill and as I, you know, I sort of got part way through, my car was lined up sort of as a T along this other car that had just parked. And I went to do a reverse hill start turn and I didn't accelerate enough and I actually went straight into this car and I hit this car. Not a proud moment at all. And um, yeah, I finished the park, I got out of my car and I had a look and it was really scratched, like it was really scratched up on this car. And I was like, oh no. And in that moment I was very tempted to leave. I didn't want to stay. I didn't want to talk to the people. I was like, oh no. But I'd seen them and I knew what they looked like and I'd seen them. I knew where they were. And so I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, help me. <laughs> and I went in and I was like, went up to the guy and I was just like, hey, 
I hit your car. <laughs> um, and I felt so bad. Um, and I didn't really know what I was expecting. Like, I, you know, I, I didn't know if he'd get angry or I, d- I didn't know this guy at all. I didn't know these people. I didn't know if they'd get angry. I didn't know if they'd be annoyed. I expected them to be. And as he came out and he was looking around at the car, um, I was just like, I'm really sorry. Do you want my phone number? Do you want a photo of my license? I don't know what insurance I have. I've never done this. Like, I'm just on my P's. And he turned around and he was like, don't worry about it. And I was like, what? Like, are you sure? Like, it's deep scratches. Like, this wasn't just like, you know, a touch. Like, this is, you know, it needs work and stuff. And he's like, nah, you're fine. It's all good. And he went back into the shop. And I was like, what? Like, I had so many questions. I was like, what is happening? Like, really? Like, why did he do that? And then, like, I still wanted to go home, but I was like, you know, I've done all that effort to get into the car park. I might as well go into the shop. So I went in, but I was really awkward about it because I didn't want to see the couple. And I was, like, walking around the other aisles. But I heard them over talking in the aisle next to me. And this guy talked to his wife. And he was like, oh, this girl came up and um, she said that she hit our car. And the lady was like, oh, is she okay? Like, she didn't ask, is the car okay? Like, she didn't even talk about the car. She's like, is the girl okay? And I was like, these guys must be Christians. Like, or else angels or something. Like, I was just like, what? <laughs> what is happening? And I actually had so many questions. Like, I left because I didn't want to be in that situation anymore. But if I had stayed, like, I would have I been like, why did you do that? Like, what made you react that way? Like, you know, you'd think of an ordinary life. You know, that's a lot of money. That's effort. It's inconvenient. And yet, you just let me off. And I was like, they must have had maybe that kindness given to them or else maybe, you know, finance given to them or else maybe they did know of a higher love that made them able to, you know, immediately care for me rather than their own possessions. And I just want to, yeah, I guess my message today is um, about the the powerful influence that we have in everyday life um, by the way that we react to things in a godly way. Um, because our beliefs, well, our actions actually are a response to what we believe and what we think. So when we act out in a certain way, it actually shows, you know, a deep, a deep belief. And why I believe those people were Christian was because, you know, Christians are, it says in, in the Bible that we are known by the way that we love each other. And so just seeing them, I was like, yeah, they must be Christian. Um, I'm going to dive into 1 Peter 3, 8 to 5, which unpacks this a little bit. It says, finally, all of you, Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face, of, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And I wonder if we have situations in our life where we could get annoyed or react a certain way. Like maybe you have had damage done to you or to something that you own and I wonder how we yeah react from that I have this letter I know I just read a bible verse but I want to read this letter which I love and it's um 
a letter that was written in back in the Roman Empire, back after Jesus had left, but the disciples were still there, still outworking, still preaching the gospel, going around and just outworking the gospel, I guess, like doing everyday acts of kindness. Um, and this emperor, Julian at the time, actually got kind of scared of them because they were just going around, but everyone started following them, getting on board, you know, jumping on like literally thousands of people. And the emperor was like, what is happening? Like he was actually scared. So he wrote this letter to his officials. Um, yeah, sort of not out of a fear, but like, guys, we need to do something about this. And um, I'm going to put it up on the screen as well. But just for context, he refers to Christians as, as atheists because they don't believe his gods. So when I read this, just think atheists are us. If, that's <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> so it says, this is, um, yeah, Emperor Julian to his officials. We must pay special attention to this point and by the means effect a cure for the sickness of Christianity. For when it, came, when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, then I think the impious Galileans, who are the Christians, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. And they have gained ascendancy in the worst of deeds through the credit they win for such practices. Galileans also began with their so-called love fest of hospitality or service of tables, for they have many ways of carrying it out and hence call it by many names. And the result is that they have led very many to atheism or Christianity. And what he did was he wrote this letter and he was like, guys, like priests, officials, we need to actually step up our game and outlove the Christians. So they set up all these decrees. They're like, okay, we're going to go to all the needy. We're going to set up like these places for the poor travelers and stuff. But it didn't work because you can't really tell someone to love someone if they don't love them. Like he was literally commanding his officers. He's like, go and love them more than the Christians do. But what he didn't realize was that the Christians were driven by love, that they were driven by the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by the Spirit whose fruit is love and joy and peace and so it just utterly failed because because yeah you can't just tell someone to love someone if they don't like it's actually an inside thing and I wonder um yeah if you're in a situation you might not be a vocal um evangelist as such but I wonder if there's a situation that you might be in so say you did get hit by a car you know might not be in a financial situation but where you can, you know, just pay it off like that really lovely couple did. But I wonder, is our reaction going to be of scarcity? Like, oh, that's really annoying. Like, that's actually, you know, so inconvenient and you might get angry. Or is it going to be out of a belief of your identity in Christ that says, you know, I've been given good things that Jesus paid for me at a high price. He's forgiven me so I can forgive others. Maybe you're in a um, situation where... Um, you know, you're being maybe teased about being a Christian or bullied for coming to house youth or, you know, just being picked on for your faith. I wonder if our um, belief then is, or our reaction is to be ashamed, to go, oh, yeah, that's actually, you know, I actually hate this and, you know, you feel ashamed inside or, or guilty. Or is it something that says, you know, I am... Um, chosen by Christ I'm hidden with him in God I am you know of God's family I've been chosen for his for his family for the future maybe you're in a in a situation um, where 
there's things going around, um, like inappropriate jokes or mean jokes or something like that. Maybe, um, yeah, there might be things that people are doing in a social group that you want to be a part of. Maybe you feel excluded from work or school because they're doing things that aren't in line with scripture and, you know, you want to be a part of it. Is your reaction going to be, oh, I'm really annoyed because I want to do that, you know, or is your reaction going to be one of belief that says, you know, I've been called for eternity and, um, yeah, what I'm doing is actually acting out of me being a citizen of heaven. You know, I'm, I'm here on this earth to, to, be, to impart God's word and, yeah, I'm here for the long run. And maybe your family or friends don't support your Christian views. Maybe, you know, your work or church commitments or something like that, they're not supportive of. As a Christian, is your reaction going to be um, one that, you know, you have to cling and rely on your family and friends here on earth? Or, yeah, is your life just about here and now or is it for eternity? So just think of those things. I really want to encourage you because the way that the disciples did it, it was actually so powerful. Everyday life, just their reaction to things, just going around and going, you know what? No, I'm just going to give. No, I'm going to, you know, support you. I'm going to care for everyone. I don't know what their lives were like. They might have been really, really hard, especially under you know, the Roman rule at the time. But they loved and they loved and they loved and it actually got to the point where if they wanted to, they probably could take over the emperor, like the empire, because that's what the emperor was scared of. But not that they want to, like they just wanted to love. But just the amazing influence and the amazing power that that holds, I just want to encourage you guys that, you know, those things can get to you. You're like, oh, I do want to fit in. And, you know, in that moment, you're like, that actually is a hard decision to then turn the other cheek if people are bullying you know it's hard to go no I'm a Christian but I just really want to encourage you because that letter and that verse from 1 Peter is just saying how yes how powerful that is as a form of evangelism as well like the words we say hold weight and the gospel holds weight but when we act out of that it's proof of our beliefs and no one can actually argue with that and as we live that out it's actually just setting foundation for Jesus is love. And also, our holiness is not, like, if we're trying to be Christian and good, when people can see us and everything, maybe we might feel like, oh, if I sort of let myself down to help that person or forgive that person or something, it might diminish our holiness in some way. I sometimes can think of it like that. Like, if you're, you know, hang out with that person that you don't really want to hang out with or if someone's bullying you you don't want to just seem like they're stomping all over you by loving them but it's actually the way that Jesus did it our holiness is a holiness of grace and by by acting out of that grace like the way he did where he washed our feet and he actually died for us it's actually shining that holiness even brighter I'm going to finish with um, 1 Peter 3.18 that says for God also suffered once for our sins the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. We can't do this alone. We can only do this through God and through the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own because like the Roman officials at the time, you can't just, you know, no one can say love someone and you just do. You have to have it as a heart thing. So, yeah, this foundation just comes from Jesus. And he loved us before we even deserved it. We don't deserve it. And I just want to, yeah, I'm going to finish by praying. But, yeah, I just wanted to encourage you that it is so, so powerful. Everyday life, it can be hard to turn the other cheek, but, 
yeah, it's so influential. And yeah, I'm just going to pray that. Yeah, sort of just thank God for what he does because this is all reflecting what he does in the first place and how good he is. So I'm going to pray as Holly comes up to share. (coughs) Dear Jesus, thank you for being a God of love. We know love is patient and kind and doesn't hold grudges. And God, I just pray that we would understand you even more as um, a God of love. And then we can take that on and really reflect that out, that we can take a hold of that. And even when life is hard, when, when things do get to us, that we can hold on to that and know that we are, we are part of your family, that we are here for you and the eternal calling that you have for us. And I just thank you for loving us in the first place. And I thank you that we are a church body that yeah, is called to love, that this whole thing that we do is all, is all good. It's goodness and love and joy. And I just thank you that we get to be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give Danielle a hand. That was awesome. Oh, who loves Danielle and Tegan? I think they're fantastic. Let's give them a hand. They are so good. Um, how, do you, how do you follow such awesome women? Um, well, good morning. My name's Holly, if you don't know me. Um, and I am sharing on the third part of today. So we've shared on chapter two, chapter three, and I'm talking about chapter four of First Peter. Um, but if you don't know me, I am one of the lucky gals who gets to live with our incredible senior pastors, Pastor Josh and Bell. Um, let's give them a hand. We love you. We honour you. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to serve um, and speak this morning. Um, and we found out, I was chatting with the guys this week, and we found out that this is actually my fourth year of living in Murray Bridge and living in their house. Thank goodness that they put up with me for four years. Um, and it's just so cool that I get to be here, and it's been four years. I cannot believe it. Um, and the other thing is that I kind of see Josh and Bell as my second set of parents. My family live in Adelaide, and I live here. So they're the people on the ground that are there to support me when I've had a rough day at work, the kids have been crazy at school, or, you know, I'm feeling sad. They're the ones that are there to support me. Um, Even if I've run out of toilet paper, Josh will give me a spare roll if I'm too poor to buy one that week. And who knows, you know, this week we've seen that it's really hard to buy toilet paper at the moment. Um, So, you know, it's always good to have that second set of parents there just to give to us and love us. Um, So speaking of parents, put your hand up if you are a parent in the house. There are so many. Oh, that's beautiful. Keep your hand up if your child or children has a phone, a mobile device. Yes. Keep your hand up if they are solely addicted and cannot take their eyes off of it. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Oh, yes. That is so good. Krista's got two hands up in the air. I love that so much. Steph's feeling mad convicted at the moment. Um, (laughs) That's really cool. Um, I remember growing up being very much addicted to devices as well. At age 11, I was so, so desperately in need of a phone. I just wanted it so bad. I was desperate to get one. Um, And Christmas after Christmas, I would be asking for one for my birthday or for Christmas. But my parents would keep saying, oh, not just yet. Just wait till you're a little bit older. And I'd be so mad, so frustrated. I would always be questioning why they wouldn't give me one. And I wanted it because I wanted to play the snake game, you know, the snake. I wanted the really not user-friendly version of Facebook that you get on like a slide-up phone, you know, because I really wanted a slide-up phone. I wanted one that had all the individual buttons for each letter, you know, instead of pressing a button three times to get the letter. It was individual letters, revolutionary. And I, I wanted that so bad, but they kept saying, no, not just yet. Just wait till you're a little bit older. And it was so worth the wait because then on my 14th birthday, I got, ladies and gentlemen, a pink slide-up Samsung. It was so good. Oh, I loved it. I wish I had it. I was trying to find it at home, but I don't have it. I can't share it with you. I reckon we chucked it out because it's so ancient. 
Um, but it was so worth the wait. But it wasn't just worth it um, because I finally got what I wanted or I finally got the model of the phone that I'd been staring at the windows of the store for about a year. Um, but it was worth it because it was during those three or four years of waiting, even though it was frustrating, that I actually learnt so much about the responsibility um, that you need to have when you own a phone. It sounds a bit silly, but you actually need responsibility for that. I needed to learn that you have to charge a phone so it doesn't go flat when your mum's trying to call you. You need to have responsibility about how to use social media, use the internet properly, how to give, you know, who to trust with your personal information. All that sort of thing I learnt through those three years of waiting. Um, and I wouldn't have learnt that at a, you know, greedy 11-year-old phase. I would not have learnt to do those things or to know those things. And it was worth it because the gift was then fit for me. It actually made sense. I understood how to use it, how to do it responsibly. And so this morning I'm speaking about chapter 4, um, as we've said, and I want to pull out a few things that God's been speaking to me about over the last few weeks that I've been prepping for this. And I wanted to share on the fact that God is our Father. That's kind of the lens I want to see this through. Um, we see God being described as many different things, but this morning I want to focus on God being our Father and us being in the position of being His children. Is that cool? Sweet. So the first point, if you are taking notes, which I encourage you to do so, um, is character carries God's blessing character carries God's blessing. Now, God is a limitless God, which is awesome, and He knows our limits. He knows what we can do with or without Him, and He is not limited. We need to know how to learn to wait on God like I had to wait for my phone. We need to know that there is often a process that God wants to take us through, because sometimes something too soon is no blessing at all. And sometimes we see God when he doesn't give us the answers to our prayers. We go, oh, God, like you're not answering my prayers. You don't understand my pain. You don't get my struggles. You don't understand that I'm suffering. Or we think, how can there even be a God, let alone a good one, if there's all this suffering in the world? But just for a moment, let's just imagine that God doesn't exist at all. He never did, never was, and will never. And it's just literally us here on earth. Is there suffering? Is there human suffering? Yes. Is there natural disasters all over the world? Unfortunately, yes. And who or what is to blame for those things? I think it's interesting that when suffering comes our way, our natural instinct is actually to think about God. Even if that is negatively, even if that's shaking our fist or blaming God, I find it interesting that so many of us first turn to turning our doubts and our questions to a God, even if we don't believe he exists. And asking God questions and actually using the brains that he's given us to understand things, I think is really important. And I'm not saying to blindly follow along with what I would call religious optimism and just saying, you know, God's got it even though he does. It's not about that. And it's not about using that as a cover-up for when our faith is doubting or, you know, just hoping for the best. Because even though asking questions and getting clarity is important, God wants us to do that. He didn't create us to be robots, you know, just to follow along blindly. He created us not to say, this will one day work out, or I should probably not express how much this suffering is really hurting me. I should just get rid of it because otherwise people will think I'm doubting God if I express my pain. But God actually created us to experience him, to get to know him, to learn his character, but not just to learn it, but to adopt it, to actually adopt his vantage point, the way he sees things. That's what he's called us to do, to live in relationship with him every step of the way, every single day. And this is because he's our father. And that's the whole point of this. This is the gifts that he actually wants to give us need to be fit for us. They actually need to be matched with character to sustain them. 
And this is actually about realizing that sometimes it's through our greatest struggles, our greatest pain, weaknesses, breakings, all of that sort of thing, that that's actually where we learn the most about ourselves and the most about life and the most about God's character. Character carries God's blessing. And verse 1 of chapter 4, it talks about learning to think like Jesus, which is kind of this idea we've got going on. Um, So it will be up on the screens. It says, since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think of your sufferings as weaning away from that long, sorry, that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Wowzers. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. And in another translation, it says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Because it's through our greatest struggles, weaknesses, pain and suffering that we actually learn the most about ourselves and about God. And maybe this morning we need to ask God to transform the way we think to have his vantage point. So point two is suffering helps us to learn to think like Jesus. So like Jesus, we must put on this mental armor so that we'll be strong enough to face it when suffering comes our way. It seems that suffering has another meaning kind of in all of this and that it kind of brings about a particular transformation of our character. It makes you reevaluate your whole life when you experience suffering. And sometimes it happens, say, if someone had a potentially fatal heart attack or a stroke, and then they have this remarkable recovery, it's miraculous, everyone's cheering, it's incredible. And it's actually through these kind of scenarios that the people involved kind of say, that's when I reevaluated my whole life. That's when I realized what mattered and what didn't, and what, what I value and what I don't. In the same way, if you suffered as a Christian as being a follower of Jesus, people like that often say that they gain new kind of clarity through suffering that way. They see more sharply the kind of world that sin produces and they say, I don't want to be a part of that life anymore. They see far more gloriously, like it says in verse 2, that God's will is the only thing worth following. Let's be consumed by what brings pleasure to God. And my last point, point three, is we are called to live uncomfortably. Ooh, that doesn't sound good. Um, So I've got a couple questions I want you to reflect on. What are we missing because we are so committed to avoiding pain and discomfort? What are we losing by clinging to our comfort? Do we know who our ultimate comforter is? That's God. He comforts us. He wants to comfort us, but he doesn't call us just to live a comfortable life. He wants us to live for him, to live adventurously, to have an awesome life following him, to live purposefully, loving God and loving others, as the other girls have said. And this is not about denying the reality of suffering. Hear me, that's not the point of this message. I want to acknowledge the reality of suffering because it's real and so many people in this room have experienced suffering to a huge degree. But let's be aware of our suffering but be steadfast in the hope we have in Jesus, hey? Like that's what it's all about. Let's be steadfast in our hope but still being aware of suffering. Because it says in verse 12 and 13 of chapter 4, we'll have it on the screen. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. I love that. I think that paints such a beautiful picture. And maybe that's an encouragement for you this morning. That glory is around the corner. Even if you're suffering, glory is just around the corner. I love that. So there's three types of suffering that I was um, researching this week. Um, There is, oh, hang on, I've got to remember them now. Redemptive suffering, innocent suffering, and punitive suffering. So we'll have them on the screen so you can learn them as well. So punitive suffering is the deserved punishment for a mistake that someone has made. 
Innocent suffering is unmerited or undeserving. And then there is redemptive suffering. This one's cool. And that's when he or she is refined or ennobled by that suffering. Or it's for the benefit of other people. That's so cool. And although there are many people in the Bible who experienced anxiety and pain, troubles and suffering, the most profound message throughout the Bible is not actually of human suffering, which we might go, oh, we read across the Bible, there's all these different things where people suffered so many different things, but it's actually not the most profound message. But it's actually the fact that the God we believe in is not too powerful, is not too lofty to feel sorrow or disappointment or grief. He's not too powerful for those things. And this isn't even just after Jesus came and died on the cross. Obviously, we, you know, God experienced suffering in that way. But it's actually way before that throughout human history as well. But as we examine the 33 short years that Jesus was on earth, we actually start to see this beautiful picture of what um, the true nature of loss and pain actually is and what constitutes real suffering. And whereas other religions, oh, I just hit this. Other religions and other, you know, beliefs, they kind of portray gods and deities as kind of like transcending and above human suffering. I love that at the heart of the Christian faith and what we believe in here at Lifehouse actually stands on the wonderful mystery of a God that actually understood suffering, that it was actually a suffering God that we are kind of believing in, that we follow after. And that's because, um, yeah, that's the reason that we kind of do this. That's why we're here. That's why I believe in Jesus, why I chose to be a Christian, is because he actually gets it. God gets it. He understands from firsthand experience what suffering looks like. But he was steadfast in hope. Can we be steadfast in hope this morning? He didn't waver in his purpose. He experienced that redemptive suffering that we saw before. But it wasn't that he could be refined, but it was so that we would be refined through his suffering for our benefit. You see, suffering is actually a story of increase. Often we see suffering um, is something that we lose or kind of a decrease, but it's actually something that God wants us to gain from. He wants us to get something out of suffering so it's not just, you know, a waste because God never wastes anything and he's never surprised even when we're surprised. <clears throat> he did it for us on the cross. He suffered for us, for us to live aware of suffering but to be steadfast in the hope we have in Jesus. To live knowing that he is our comforter. He wants to comfort you this morning. But he hasn't called us to live comfortably. But to live purposefully. And most importantly, God the creator of everything in our world. He suffered throughout all of human history so that we could know and trust that he is a God who gets it. But also he is a God that brings us the ultimate increase of what we are all searching for. And friends, this morning that is hope. That's what we're all searching for is hope. So will you stand and pray with me as we get the band to come up? We're going to close the service. But I want to pray and solidify everything that we've talked about um, today. And if you're suffering, I pray that this morning you'd really be able to reach out to God and see we're not denying the reality of suffering, but we're actually also not wanting to deny the reality of the hope that we have in Jesus, hey? Like that's actually something we can hold on to, that God is our comforter, hey? So let's close our eyes and pray. God, we thank you so much for the truth of the Bible, of what it says. God, we thank you that you suffered that redemptive suffering so that we could be refined, so that we'd value what's important over what isn't. And God, I pray that right now you'd be able to fix our eyes, that we'd be able to be thinking the way that you think, God. I pray that you transform our minds. And God, I pray that we would also understand that you're a God who gets it. Do you know what it means to suffer? And God, I'm so glad that I know you as my Father. You're not just some guy in the sky, but you're an intimate God, a God that loves us. 
and you love your children and you want to see us live purposely with a steadfast hope. God, help us to be aware of our suffering, but be so strong in that steadfast hope that we have in you. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.